Straits brings legal and business insights at the intersection of the shipping and energy sectors. This podcast series offers trends, developments, challenges and topics of interest from Reed Smith litigation, regulatory and finance lawyers across our network of global offices. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do contact our speakers. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of Trading Straits. My name is Nick Austin. I'm a partner in the transportation team in the London office of Reed Smith. I focus on resolving disputes in the shipping and commodities sectors for a, a range of global clients in mediation, arbitration and court proceedings. I'm joined today by my colleague, Sophia Papaspiropoulou, who is an associate also in our shipping team in London. Now, as some of you may remember, we blogged uh, last October about the existing position in English law on electronic trade documents and the scope for digital reform of those documents uh, following a a consultation paper put out by the Law Commission, uh, which was published in April of last year. What Sophia and I want to do in this podcast is to update everyone on where we've now got to and what it looks like will happen next. What last year's consultation did was to highlight the fundamental problem of possession in law for electronic trade documents. Sophia will be talking about that in some more detail in just a moment, but to put it simply, in English law, uh, electronic trade documents being intangible, non-physical things can't be legally possessed And so they can't function like their transferable paper equivalents. So on 16th of March this year, following a full review of responses to last year's consultation from the industry and from academics, the Law Commission published revised recommendations and actual draft legislation, what the law will look like, in a formal report. That report was laid before Parliament a few weeks ago and was included in the Queen's speech in May, which lists future laws that Parliament is likely to pass. And that has given it some real momentum and impetus now. We don't know yet if or or how many of the recommendations following the Law Commission's report will be implemented. Notably, the UK government has already said it intends to introduce relevant legislation when parliamentary time allows. So in this podcast, we're going to take a look at some of the key issues coming out of the Law Commission's latest proposals and the draft legislation. Sophia, perhaps you can expand a little bit on this possession problem I mentioned a moment ago. Thank you, Nick. Yes, so normally, under English law, contracts, or more generally documents setting out rights and obligations, evidence such rights and obligations. This means, among other things, that to claim performance of the obligations, you don't need to actually hold the document. The mere fact that it was concluded is enough. Certain types of trade documents, however, such as bills of lading, bills of exchange, and promissory notes, do not just evidence the rights and obligations recorded in them, but rather embody the right to claim performance of those obligations. For such trade documents, we need to distinguish between documents in paper form and documents in electronic form. Trade documents in paper form would be treated under English law as tangible assets, and so to claim performance of the obligations they represent, one would need to possess them. 
This has several consequences. First of all, to transfer the right to claim performance of the obligation embodied in a paper trade document, you must physically deliver and sometimes endorse the document. Secondly, if you're in possession of such a trade document, you have your right in that document protected from legal interference in the same way as you would with any other tangible asset, for example, under the property tort of conversion, by negligence, etc. Thirdly, in case of interference, the measure of damages the holder of the document would be entitled to is the value of the obligation or right embodied in the trade document. Fourthly, to discharge the obligation contained in the paper trade document, the person who owes the obligation must render performance to the holder of the document. And finally, because they can be possessed, the paper trade documents are capable of being the subject of bailment, possessory security interests, and wrongful interference. Trade documents in electronic form, however, are treated differently. Following decisions of the House of Lords and the Court of Appeal, a trade document in electronic form is intangible and therefore not possessable and capable of functioning as a paper trade document. This is the so-called possession problem in relation to electronic trade documents. Of course, despite this possession problem, electronic trade documents have been in use for a long time. During this time, to overcome these legal limitations, the parties using electronic trade documents have been resorting to a sort of contractual workaround. The parties normally agree that the transfer of an electronic trade document will put the transferee in a similar position to that of the holder of a paper trade document. As you may expect, however, this workaround falls short of rendering electronic trade documents a complete equivalent of paper trade documents. Because this is a contractual arrangement, the rights arising from it are, as one would expect, binding only on the contractual parties and are not enforceable against everyone else. This is in contrast to the proprietary rights enjoyed by those in possession of paper trade documents, which are enforceable against all. In recent years, the industry has seen an unprecedented demand for the digitalization of the international trade, and this was to be expected given the emergence of new technologies such as blockchain. It is against this backdrop that the Law Commission has sought to address this legal gap, and it has done so by proposing criteria for the electronic trade documents, which, if met, would make such documents capable of being possessed as a matter of law and so subject to the same legal treatment as the paper trade documents. It should be said that the trade documents covered by the Law Commission's report and draft bill are those in relation to which possession is relevant for a person to claim performance of an obligation. Such documents include bills of exchange, promissory notes, bills of lading, ships delivery orders, warehouse receipts, mates receipts, marine insurance policies, and cargo insurance certificates, to name a few. It should be said, however, that instruments that are entered under a relevant system under the Uncertificated Securities Regulations of 2001 and bearer bonds are expressly excluded from the draft bill. So, Nick, what are the criteria that would render an electronic trade document capable of being possessed? Thanks, Sophia. It's a good question. And I think how these uh, gateway criteria are going to work is going to be something that people are going to be looking at very closely as the legislation is uh, being developed and hopefully passed. It looks like an electronic trade document is going to have to meet a number of tests, which I'll set out briefly, if they're going to be capable of being possessed in the legal sense, and so work and operate like their paper cousins. First, the information contained in the document. Well, insofar as paper trade documents have requirements as to what they must say in them, then a document in electronic form 
is going to have to contain that same information in the electronic format. Secondly, reliability. An electronic trade document system must be reliable, particularly with regard to security, as you might expect, uh, and the cyber risks which it seeks to manage with that security system. Thirdly, integrity. An electronic trade document is going to have to satisfy a, a range of integrity requirements, such as sufficient protection against unauthorised interference or alteration. Fourthly, uh, exclusive control. This is a, a pretty major one of the gateway criteria. To qualify as an electronic trade document, a document in electronic form has to be susceptible to exclusive control. In other words, only one person or, or persons acting jointly, I suppose, can exercise control of the document at any one time, as would be the case with paper equivalent. Fifthly, of the gateway criteria, a divestibility, which is that you know the transfer of an electronic trade document must involve a transfer of both the document itself and the ability to control that document. In other words, the person transferring it uh, should no longer be able to exercise control of the document after the transfer, again, just like uh, a piece of paper. Uh, sixthly, uh, identification of the document. A trade document in electronic form must be clearly identifiable so that it can be distinguished from uh, any copies. And finally, clear identification of the people exercising control. It must be capable in electronic form uh, of being uniquely associated with the persons able uh, to exercise control of the electronic trade document. Uh, all of these gateway criteria require quite a lot of focus on the technology side and a lot of work is underway from some of the existing and new electronic bill of lading providers uh, to ensure that these gateway criteria can be met by those who will be working with these documents. Interestingly, the report doesn't propose any changes where the existing law already regulates a particular aspect of using electronic trade documents or where an issue can be left to the interpretation of the court. So a good example would be this. Once an electronic trade document is, is deemed, using the criteria I've just mentioned, uh, deemed as capable of being possessed, actually assessing whether it is possessed will be done under the existing law. So a person or company would be presumed to be in possession of an electronic trade document if they have sufficient control over it, and when that control is accompanied by the necessary intention. And the existing law and the rules around those concepts will answer that question. Another quick example is that there'll be no specific provision in the legislation for the signing of electronic trade documents because there are existing laws in place already dealing with electronic signatures in the law. So, Sophia, that's a run through the uh, criteria. Looking at the costs and benefits, what, what are they going to be of all this? Well, indeed, the Law Commission foresees that the reform will bring about significant benefits, but also may come at a cost. Starting with the benefits, primarily, this could take the form of savings in resourcing and operational costs, but also increased productivity. During the consultation process, industry representatives foresaw an increase in efficiency, anticipating that the use of electronic trade documents will reduce loss of time and shipments arriving before the necessary documentation. 
I think this change will probably be felt the most in commodities trades with long chains of subsales while the goods are in transit, because this is particularly where delays in the delivery of paper bills of lading, for example, can result in high storage and demurrage costs. The Law Commission is also hoping to see increased security and transparency as a result of the shift. It should be said, however, that not all industry consultees shared this optimism, and some were in fact sceptical about whether the transition could reduce fraud. In terms of the industry's environmental footprint, if we take into account that an estimated 28.5 billion paper trade documents are used annually, you can see why the transition to electronic trade documents is expected to have a significant benefit for the environment. That is not to say, however, that this benefit may not be potentially offset by an increase in power consumption of the various technology systems hosting the electronic trade, which, as you may presume, is to be expected. Finally, the Law Commission sees potential benefits for SMEs, port operators, shippers, exporters, importers, as well as consumers, to the extent that the supply chain parties pass on the benefits to end users. As I mentioned earlier, though, the transition to electronic trade documents will also come at a cost. The Law Commission sees industry participants incurring potentially high transition costs as a result of the need to train staff on the new systems, develop new internal processes for dealing with the documents, but also negotiating with trading partners. During the consultation, there were also some concerns that the transition to electronic trade documents could be partial, and therefore two systems, one for paper documents and one for electronic documents, would be at play, at least in the short term, leading to all sorts of inefficiencies. The Law Commission also flagged that interoperability and standardization are key. The Law Commission fears a potential lack of interoperability between the different platforms, and it was also flagged by the industry participants during the consultation that a lack of standardization could affect the willingness of financiers to adopt electronic trade documents. And of course, as already mentioned, the increased computational capacities that are expected to be required and the rise in energy consumption of the various platforms is likely to have a negative impact on the environment. That said, Nick, is the Law Commission working on anything else of interest for the industry? Yeah, thanks, Sophia. There is quite a lot uh, going on in this area. I mean, from the straight legal perspective, given the quite uneven recognition of digital trade documents around the world and and across different jurisdictions, uh, and the incompatibilities that could result from that uh, sort of patchwork of rules, I think it will be really interesting to see the Law Commission's separate recommendations on conflict of laws and emerging technology. And they're working on that. And I think they're, they're just starting that project now. So it looks like there will be a quite clear interface there with the proposals around electronic trade documents. At the same time, we're also anticipating with interest the Law Commission's consultation, which is due to be published this summer, on crypto assets and other digital assets, which will expand on the work the Law Commission has already done on electronic trade documents. And I think specifically it's going to consider a further extension of the concept of possession to other digital assets. So that may well shed light on how the rollout of the electronic trade documents reform uh, will go. But for now, I think the Law Commission's latest proposals on, on electronic trade documents represent a massive step forward, really, towards updating and aligning English law with the rapid technological change we're now seeing 
and which is starting to be realised in the digitalisation of international trade. That brings us to the end of this episode of Trading Straits. We hope you found it interesting and informative. My thanks to my colleague Sophia for her insights and my thanks to all of you for your time and for listening today. We hope you'll join the next episode of Trading Straits and don't hesitate in the meantime to get in touch with us or your usual contact at Reed Smith if you have any questions. Trading Straits is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources or transportation practices, please email tradingstraits at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.